RadioInfluence.com. Why, Crusher, it's good to see you. You're listening to Crush Performance with the Crusher, Jeff Crushell. Get in on the talent grid and text Crush at 10 12 60 with your questions, comments, or smart ass remarks. All right, welcome to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, you want to reach out to us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is our email. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on all the other social media platforms. Search out Crush Performance, and we can hook up there. Hey, listen, we've got a new website coming. I know I've been talking about it, but it is coming. We're hoping to launch it, if we can, before the new year. If not, it'll be early in 2022. Lots of really cool things on there. Uh, a little more organized, and as technology advances, it also allows us to do a few more things. So really looking forward to the new website and sharing information in ways that we just haven't before. Lots of video, lots of connections, and a couple courses as well that we're really excited about. You know, that's one of the upsides. Uh, if there was one from this COVID madness is our ability to share virtually the platforms and our ability to connect with everybody all over the world has really, really gone to new heights. And one of the things that's happened for me personally over this last two years since travel had been shut down, it has been two years in November since I last traveled for Major League Baseball as we you know, work uh, with organizations and players all over the world to help them chase down the dream of playing ball at the highest level possible. Um, I think my last trip was in Curacao. It was either Brazil and then Curacao, um, November, two years ago, when this whole thing shut down. And I haven't traveled since. Imagine not being able to get out and help athletes the way we normally do. Well, you guys have all been through that if you're involved in sport. But one of the things that's happened is the virtual connection. One of the ways that we really, really strive to keep our, our players uh, engaged and moving forward was through the virtual world. But something else really interesting happened. You know, I usually travel around to lecture uh, to coaches, organizations, and groups, you know, four or five times a year. But this last year, I probably have done 20 to 25 major presentations online. And the cool thing about them um, is it's not just local people in the area of the organizers who would normally, you know, put on a conference at a hotel or a conference center. We're getting people tapping in from all over the world. And I think this is really going to lend itself well for athlete development and sport performance globally, because now what's happening is we're getting back to travel and things are kind of returning to the way it was before. These conferences are now happening in person and there's no replacing the in-person uh, experience at, at these conferences. Just the engagement, the, the talk away from the learning sessions is just invaluable. But that being said, even as these live events are going to continue on here, we're booking them up already. We're also now seeing a virtual option for people that literally just can't get there. So now for a conference, let's say in Chicago, where, you know, people would travel in from, you know, a pretty good distance. Maybe we get three, 4,000 people in person and the big ones, five, six, 7,000. But now we're not only going to have the live events taking place, we're also going to have the live streaming uh, running in tandem. So people who literally just can't get there can now tune in, learn and share information and even ask questions. It's just spectacular. 
But one of the requests I keep getting over and over and over through this last couple of years is, can you go a little bit deeper? Where do I get more information on a particular topic? Look, when you go and present for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour maybe, you can only share so much. And my goal in most of those presentations is to you know uh, present the most relevant, recent information on the topic, whatever it might be, but to tie it into the real world. How does it work in the trenches? And that's something that I feel is really important because I've been in the trenches and all this great research that's out there is incredibly important, but it's only really useful if you can tie it into the way you're operating in your group, your team, or you as an athlete. And it's really important to connect those dots, I feel. So I'm fired up. People want to know more and go a little bit deeper into it. And I'm excited that this new website that we're building is going to allow us to do exactly that. So stay tuned. I haven't been as excited about something as I am about this website in a long, long time. So, so I'm looking forward to it, looking forward to your feedback as well. Now, that being said, you know, on that website, we've got an email address, of course, info at crushperformance.com. Here's something that a lot of our listeners, I don't think really appreciate. We answer every single message that we get. It doesn't matter if it's from an athlete, if it's from a coach or a parent, we get them all. We get them from from organizers. Um, We get them from presidents and GMs. We get them from all walks of life, even outside of sport, because we talk about human performance. And there's a real common thread at the base of human performance, whether it's sport, music, school, whether it's in business, whether it's the, the arts, you know, it doesn't matter. Wherever there's people trying to achieve a goal or work towards something individually or as a team, there's common threads that exist. And here's an interesting thing that I've just sort of observed over the years. You know, if we take our friends in the military, for example, they'll call me up and say, Jeff, what's going on? What are you guys doing? How's this working? What are you doing here? And on the other side, we look at those military environments, um, the discipline, the regimented, the preparedness, and we go, what are they doing over there? to be so prepared for these dangerous, potentially life-threatening situations that they put their people into. And so we're sharing information, but we're always curious about what's happening on the other side of the fence. It's not that the grass is always greener, but a different approach and different perspective can really change how you think about things. Our emails that we get are incredible because as much as we love to share information, um, you guys really do get us thinking about things that, man, I haven't thought about in a long, long time. And here's one promise that I've made since the start of uh, Crush Performance Radio is if, if we don't have the answer, we don't know everything, of course, it's impossible. But over the years and just through my incredible experiences in high performance sport, I've managed to meet some really, really good people who just want to share their information. And so what we've said from day one is if we don't have the answer, we'll go out and get it. And here's another thing that you need to know. If you send in a question, we answer your question But if it's a question that we were getting quite often uh, and we want to address it on the show, we'll literally write you back and say, hey, look, we love this question. We're getting it a lot. Are you okay if we share your question on the show? We won't use your name or we'll change your name, whatever. But you guys are sending in some really important questions that I want to take some time today to share because this last week, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the full moon or what it is. Maybe it's the time of year, you know, youth sport and college sport, high school sport, pro sport is all starting up here in the fall sporting season, but we're getting some common themes coming in. Like this one that comes in from Karen Crusher, love the show. Listen all the time. The podcasts have been great because I can't listen on Saturdays all the time. Um, How much 
sport does a kid actually need? It's a great question. And we've had about 10 or 12 emails on this exact theme just in the last week or so. So I wanted to address this because it seems to be something that's on the minds of people out there. Here's what I can tell you, Karen, it's a very open-ended question and there's no right or wrong answer here. All I can tell you is uh, we do have a tendency with the greatest of intentions to overschedule our kids. And I think the key to this, everybody, and again, there's no magic number or amount. How much sport does a kid need? I will say this, the research and trends out there do show that multiple sports are incredibly beneficial for an athlete. But again, specialization or for whatever reason, if you're only able to do one sport, it's not the end of the world. It does need to be organized, though. You know, we have this tendency nowadays to schedule our kids, keep them busy. I'm telling you right now, being busy all the time is not a great approach to being a high performer. And that's just a fact. We know that high performers really, really take their downtime seriously, almost as or more seriously as when they're in the heat of battle or whether they're training to compete or perform. So one thing that I feel is really important and not done very well is just organizing a schedule. And if you guys want, write me, I'll send you the schedule. I'll send you the blank weekly template that we give our athletes. Whenever an athlete or a family or a team uh, gets on board here or we get involved with them, one of the first things we do is we break down their schedule. It's such an important practice, everybody. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about a youth athlete. And maybe it's even more important down there because we tend to think that kids need to be busy all the time. And I'm telling you, just like our rookies in sport, all right? Our rookies need more rest than our veteran players. And sometimes we get that mixed up. Actually, more often than not, we feel that, hey, young rookie players can recover quicker than our, than our veteran guys. Well, understand this. The veteran players who have been going through the grind for years and years and years, they've adapted so well to their environment, they actually recover quite well. But for the rookies who are in, just getting in, adapting to the new environment, the tension and the stress of, of higher levels of competition, um, it takes them longer to recover. One, maybe they're expending more energy. Maybe they're a little more anxious. It's not always just a physical thing. Sometimes you need that downtime just for your mind, right? So setting up this schedule is the first thing we do. We just simply say, hey, listen, can you please write us out everything you have going in your average week? Okay, Saturday to Sunday, seven days. What does your average seven days look like? And if they're in season, we also include the competitive schedule in there. Practice times, individual training, whatever else they're doing. If they're in school, do they have a part-time job? Do they have a girlfriend? All right, do they visit their grandmother? Do they, do they volunteer uh, for a charity somewhere? Everything that takes up energy has to be accounted for over the course of the week. And I'm telling you, I honestly do believe we have saved careers just by going through that exercise because honestly, I have seen kids 11, 12, 13 years of age or our 15, 16, 17 year olds that are just on the cusp of making that big leap to the next level of really intense high performance sport. Their schedules are insane, more than we would ever, ever schedule in for our professional athletes who are getting paid to live, eat and breathe sport. Now imagine this, you have a young kid who loves sport and we're scheduling them with more sporting activity than we have our pros doing. 
And yet the kid has to go to school. Maybe he's got a part-time job. Maybe he's playing in the school band. Maybe he plays another sport, right? We have literally saved careers. And I say this with absolute 100% confidence by going through the practice of writing out a weekly schedule. If you want our template, write to us. I will send it to you. Honest to goodness. And, and honestly, if I can't get back to you, somebody in our team will get back to you about what does it look like? If you want to send us, send it back to us to have a look, we'll do it. We'll at least give you some ideas and maybe something to think about. And hopefully maybe that can help you out. So Karen, to answer your question, I don't think there is a question there. I think it really depends on the situation you're in, everything your young athlete has going on, and then balancing it out. And one of the things that's really missing is just that downtime, that free, unstructured time where they can just do whatever the heck they want. If they want to play video games, let them play video games. If they want to go ride their bike, go ride a bike. If they want to go to a movie, go to a movie with friends and connect outside of sport. That's one of the key issues here. Now, when it comes to the video games, caveat video games, okay? Set your timeframes up. Be really, really regimented. And I'm serious, drop dead serious about this. Be regimented with screen time, especially when it comes to video games. Protect your sleep above and all else, right? We can't be playing video games till two or three in the morning. Okay, so those rules still do apply, but we need to actually schedule in free play time. And if you look at what's happening in the landscape right now, we all know that developmental youth sport especially has become this massive, massive industry. People are now paying their mortgages. They're putting their kids through college. They're making their car payments on developmental sport, private lessons, year-round facilities, whatever it might, travel teams, whatever it might be. So the landscape of sport is changing to this industry. As a matter of fact, youth sport is now generating more revenue than any of the pro sports individually, all right? Youth sport is making more money than the NBA is generating more revenue than the Major League Baseball or NBA or the NHL or even Major League Soccer. It is a massive, massive industry, and it's not necessarily a good thing. Because now what's happening is we're, we're, we've got these organizations that are striving to keep kids involved in sport year-round so they can pay their freaking bills. It's not the best thing for an athlete. But here's what's happening now, okay? The dust is settling like everything else that goes on in the world. The dust is settling on this, and the good organizations are really getting it. So if you have a hockey organization that you know runs travel teams and private lessons and whatever it might be, or a soccer club or a baseball facility, whatever it might be. Okay. Some of the good ones are really getting it. You know, they get their kids in, they're signed up year round. They're now incorporating other sports in the off season, right? Incorporated ingrained. And actually there's an upside to this because typically, you know, these different organizations, they don't communicate. So as a kid goes from baseball to soccer, to hockey, to football, to basketball, to volleyball, whatever sports they're playing. All right. Those are not necessarily coordinating. We've got overlapping seasons, which is really restricting kids from going from sport to sport. So one of the things that I'm really loving right now in the developmental industry that, that I'm actually still quite scared of <laughs> because it's the Wild West out there. And we're really, again, I say this with confidence on the show, we're just still destroying more talent than we're creating collectively as a whole. But I'm starting to see some good trains happen, uh, trends. Sorry, I'm starting to see some good trends happening now where some of these year-round, you know, sport-specific um, um, companies and organizations are incorporating really smart athlete development ideas in their year-round planning. 
So there's good things going on out there. So, so Karen, to answer your question, start with just writing out a weekly schedule and you will see right there and then whether it's too crazy or not. And most of the programs or most of the weekly schedules that we review are insane, absolutely insane, more than we would ever do with our pro guys. I don't know how we expect our young developing athletes to survive it. Okay, you guys, we have a couple more questions to get to today. Really important ones, okay? Um, How hard should we push our athletes to stay in sport? I don't know if you know this, but as we come out of this COVID madness, uh, sport registration is down dramatically, okay? And as we head into fall sport, that picture is starting to become clear. So now the question that's coming in all over the place is how hard do I push my athlete to stay in sport? Listen to me. I live this. So I really do want to talk about this next. And then I want to get to another question from Jake that talks about, hey, listen, my son is losing interest in sport. Where where can we go to keep him healthy and, you know, just maybe playing and having fun if he doesn't want to be in sport? A worthy conversation coming up. And then uh, at the end of the show, listen, you guys know that two of our main themes for this year is the talent talent ID and the crush brain game. We've got some incredible conversations coming up as we wrap up those those annual themes this year. And I want to break that down and set you up for it because I want everybody to hear this stuff. Okay, because we're going to go into 2022 with an incredible approach, but it's really spinning off of this talent, talent ID and the crush brain game, the understanding that we've gotten this year. Fun stuff coming up. Okay, everybody, we're cutting out for a quick break. We'll be right back with more of your questions and a breakdown of the crush talent, talent ID and brain game right after this. Find out what it takes to be a top performer. Get the Crush blog, podcast, and newsletter at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. I am Jeff Crushell, and we're your weekly source for performance information. Hey, today, we're into the Crush mailbag. Just got done a great question from Karen about how much sport does a young athlete need. Um, I think that's an important conversation. I really do think that we need to sort of just keep track of that. There's no right or wrong answer there. It varies depending on what's happening in your young athlete's life and where they are at in their development and their interest levels as well. So um, write out that schedule. That's the key there. But another question that's come in that, that I really wanted to get to because it's so, so important. And again, guys, if you do have a question, comment, or smart remark, write to us. Info at crushperformance.com is the email. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to investigate or something that, that you need help with, uh, just get to us. We'll, we'll do what we can to help you out. Um, but over this last few weeks, and again, I don't know, as I said, if it's the full moon or what, but I have, have more of a feeling we're getting into fall sport. So we're starting to see these trends and people are starting to deal with things in sport again, uh, post-COVID for one. But also as we get back into sport across the board from school right up to our pros, um, there's been some themes that have coming in that have been coming in uh, into the mailbox. And so the other theme was that we've got several questions that, that revolve around this. How much do I push my young athlete to stay in sport? Listen, I can't tell you how important this question is because I, I'm not sure there's a right or wrong answer here, but I think at some point every athlete asks themselves this question. Do I want to continue? Am I interested anymore? Or, you know, a parent has gone through it or a coach has gone through an athlete that or has experienced an athlete that, that is just withdrawing from sport. And what do you do? Well, listen, I live this with my middle daughter uh, in, in, in sort of two, two different time frames. One where she was getting to the age of 14, 15, and 
she literally just had to choose which way she wanted to go. She loved baseball. She played with the boys right up till she was 12, 13, 14, and she played with them, not with them. She hung with them, and she's one of the better hitters and probably, I'm humbly going to say, one of the better middle infielders as well. But she was also an incredible freestyle skier, right? And she loved skiing. And uh, the next level, of course, for her was to you know get into the club and start skiing competitions. And then for baseball was to sort of find either a real performance pathway for young women in the game. And the Canadian national women's team was her inspiration there. So she had to choose. And oh my goodness, you guys, if you've been through this before, you know what I'm talking about. And as much as we encourage, you know, on the show here, uh, as many sports for as long as possible, there does come a time for whatever reason. You know, if you have four kids, you can't have four kids doing three different sports. So, you know, in our shows, we talk about specialization. Specialization is not the end of the world. Sometimes it's just the bitter reality of the logistics out there. If you've got three kids or if you live out on a farm or if you, you know, there's lots of reasons that you can't play multiple sports. If you can, excellent. All right. But if you can't, you're going to have to decide. And so, you know, one of our, you know, mandates for our daughters and most of our athletes is to help them become really good decision makers. And to see a young athlete have to go through this, oh my goodness, was heart-wrenching. Uh, she's my daughter, of course, but uh, of course, you know, we've been through this with with other athletes that is, you know, we, we care about as much, you know, in terms of making that decision. But to see a young athlete having to decide which sport when they're passionate about both. For some athletes, it's really easy. No, no, I'm definitely going this way. Let's get after it. That's fun and that's great. But to see an athlete who has to choose now between two passions, right? So, Our middle daughter chose to go towards skiing because, you know, the pathways and the opportunities for female baseball, and she was baseball. She didn't have a lot of interest in softball. I tried to steer towards softball, but she just didn't get there. There wasn't a lot of softball in our area for for, uh, girls and, and women at that time. So there wasn't a lot of exposure or opportunity to get involved. She would have loved it. I guarantee she would have loved it. But there was nowhere for her to really play or get into the game at that time. So she chose to go to freestyle skiing, which was also totally cool. Um, But it was also a major commitment from the family and her as well, because it was weekends, every weekend, like every sport, but it was traveling away from home virtually every weekend just to train. So a major, major commitment. And so she went into it. But just like the ebb and flow of life, right? Things change in sport. So she gets in with this club and a lot of like-minded kids and they're loving it. And these kids are getting really, really good. They're tapping into the provincial team. They're on the radar for national competitions and they're doing really well. And then the team is at an age after four or five years of freestyle skiing, the team gets to an age and her core group of that team um, starts splintering off, going to teams and pursuing other options and you know skiing in other areas. And, and she wasn't quite ready to make that jump yet. And so as all of her skiing buddies sort of moved on to the next level, some of them together, but they sort of splintered up a little bit. She lost interest in the sport, not, not the sport, but just that group, the social part of it was just so important. And we talk about this in team cultures, right? What is, what does a good team culture look like? Right? Man, you get that bonding and that, that camaraderie and that kind of just disappeared just because of the level they were at. Hey, they were ready to move on. Some of them weren't ready to move on. And then she had to decide whether she wanted to go for it. Well, listen, she had the national programs, um, you know, making her offers to join, you know, some of the developmental pathways at the higher level. 
which would have meant lots of time internationally, lots of time away from home, and not with that core group of friends. So she was at a point where she had to make another choice. And she chose chose to step away and pursue other things. Now, here's what we have at the end of the day. A kid and a family that had great experiences together up at the ski hill with a group of incredible people. Our kids are incredible skiers, something that they can take on for life. But Rob, to your question, I've lived it. How much do I push my kid to stay in sport? And trust me, I still lay awake at some nights saying, should we have pushed her further? Because here's what happened, okay? A few years later, you know, she was sort of on that high-performance pathway. And whether it happens or not, we all know, we don't know, right? But she had an opportunity to get in that pathway for international, you know, sort of national-level skiing. And a few years later, we're watching the Winter Olympics. And she's watching all the girls ski at the Olympics. And they're pulling tricks that she was pulling when she was 13 or 14 years of age, right? And, and they're just, don't get me wrong, all incredible skiers. But I was sitting there with my daughter and watching and, and, and tears running down her cheeks. And I knew exactly what she was thinking. She's thinking, I, I could have easily done that. And I still, to this day, everybody sort of battle. How much should a parent push a kid to stay in sport? Or how much do we let them decide on their own whether they should stay in sport or not? So maybe if I could just pose the two sides of this conundrum, uh, because we're all going to go through it. And every young person's going to go through this type of decision-making, whether it's sport or life in general, okay? And as parents or coaches or wherever we're involved, as uncles, aunts, whatever it might be, grandmas and grandpas, as sounding boards or reference points, what do we say? And what's our role in helping a person decide whether to, in this example, stay in sport or not, or stay in a particular sport or not. And I don't think there's any right answer here. But I will say this. If you go back to a lot of our conversations with the great sports psychologists or mental training coaches that we've had on the show in the past, every conversation, whether it's Jacques Delaire or Jim Fannin or the late, great Harvey Dorfman, you know, no matter who we've had on, there's always been this, this conversation about decision-making. Okay, and becoming a good decision maker. And if there's one thing that I would just wish for every person, not just athletes, is that they come up in an environment where they learn how to make decisions. And, and I do believe that that's one of the benefits of this in sport is if I just look at my daughter, just as an example, again, guys, I'm just using this as an example because I've actually lived it and it still kind of haunts me to this day. I don't know if we did the right thing. I don't, I don't know if we did the right thing, everybody. Um, but I do know that we did help her make an informed decision. And whether that decision was right or not, it was her decision at the end. Um, we just made sure she weighed both sides of the of the coin uh, evenly. And that's the decision-making process. Now, listen, as parents and supporters, we were there to back her either way. And we made that perfectly clear. So I think we get a check mark on that one, right? We told her, whatever you do decide, hey, we, we got your back 100%. If you want to continue, we'll make it happen. If you want to step back, we'll figure out what's next. That's easy. But at the end of the day, it was hers. So what I did is I sat down with her and made her write out a pros and cons list. Why do you want to step away? Why would you want to proceed? And, you know, this went on not just for a couple of days. This went on for weeks and, you know, crying and tears and stress and I don't know and frustration and all this sort of thing. And it turned out that she was going to step away from sport. And it was her decision. So 
So it was a good one. She made an informed decision. And I think that's all we can really ask. Now, in retrospect, if we were to ask her today if she wished she would have stayed in sport, I think she would say, yes, I wish I would have stayed in at least for a couple more years to see what would have happened. Okay. But at the time, um, it just what she didn't have that drive. So getting back to the original question, how much do you push? I don't know. Did did I mess up or did did we mess up and not push her to keep going? Because maybe she could have been skiing for the national team. Maybe she could have been skiing at the Olympics. What an incredible experience just to attempt that, just to try to get there, right? And sometimes I feel maybe she missed that opportunity. Whether she would have gotten there or not, we all know the we all know that playing field. Who knows? Who knows? But part of the Part of the process is just the process of getting there and the things you learn about tenacity and stick to itness. Now, on the other side, okay, if you really don't have the desire to do it and maybe you're catching fire somewhere else, do you stick with something you don't really want to do? Boy, oh boy, I don't know the right answer. Hey, I'd love to hear from you guys on this one. If you've been through this, what was your approach? How did you handle it? And how did it turn out? Do you wish you would have stuck to it and pushed them through? Or maybe if you did push them through, do you wish you would have laid off a little bit and put it in their hands? I don't know. I've seen it go both ways. I've seen it be a disaster both ways, but I've also seen great things happen on both ways. When when you support and decide the decision to leave and when you support and decide the decision to stay. Either way, I think when it's the athlete's decision and you support it, and you help them deal and understand the consequences before and after of decision-making, isn't that setting them up for life? Isn't that what life's all about? Just a process of making decisions, and hopefully we make good decisions. And if we can learn early on the pros and consequences and even the process of decision-making, man, oh man, that could serve you really well down the road in sport or out of sport. So again, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer here, Rob. I don't know how much to push and how much not to push. Maybe there's circumstances in each, you know, sort of scenario that you have to consider. You know, why why does a young child want to move away? Is it a terrible coach? Well, that's a different conversation. Is it a terrible experience? Is it bullying in sport, which should never happen and none of those things are acceptable? That's not what the sporting environment should ever be about. There is never an athlete who should withdraw from sport because of bad experiences. That should not happen. I know it does, but it shouldn't. And we have to help our athletes through that. But we also need to deal with those circumstances at a much higher level for sure, because that shouldn't happen. But if an athlete's just trying to decide whether they want to stick in a sport or not, boy, oh boy, that's a life lesson as well as a sport lesson for sure. So, you know, at the end of the day, in our circumstance, um, I think we're at peace with the decision. She's at peace with the decision. So, So in the end, I think it was the right one. Because it was her decision and it was an informed decision. She weighed the pros and cons, I think, the best possible in the best possible way. But I can't help but internally sometimes wonder if I shouldn't have pushed her more. If I shouldn't have insisted that she continue and go have the experiences to, of, of chasing down that dream of, of skiing for her country or in an international competition or whatever it might have been, right? So I do still sometimes wonder. Hey, if you've had an experience like this, how how did it turn out for you? I would love to hear your experiences on this uh, because, again, the collective learning is more powerful than one individual experience. And trust me, I talk to a lot of people, a lot of coaches. I talk to a lot of people around that decision uh, to help give some information to our daughter about which way to go. 
Um, so I think we did our due diligence, but what was your experience if you've had one? Let us know, info at Crush Performance. I would love to hear from you. Hey, we have to cut off for a quick break here, but when we come back, I want to get to one more question and I want to look at, hey, are there hidden opportunities if the kids are withdrawing from sport? Are there hidden opportunities in our daily landscape that could really, really be advantageous for not just health and wellness, but for improving athlete development. I think there are. And I also want to set up our final series for the Crush Brain Game and our Talent Talent ID series. That's all coming up right after this. Lots to get to. Stick around. You're listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Crush Performance, everybody. Hey, if you want to get in touch with us, do so. Crushperformance.com is the website. Info at Crush Performance is the email. Follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Crush, and on all the other social media platforms. Search out Crush Performance and we can hook up there. All right, today we are dipping into the Crush mailbag. Some really, really important questions that have come in here over the last couple of weeks that I just couldn't ignore anymore. Again, we answer every single message we get online. And if we want to use your question on air, we'll actually write you back and ask you if it's okay. And if some of them are just so important or we see this theme happening over and over that we might just pick your question. Now, if you want us to change your name, we can. We can change the words, but everybody's been great. Honestly, yeah, hey, ask that question on online. So I want to thank Karen and Rob today for their questions and everybody else has written in. But I wanted to get to a question from Jake here because it's another one that sort of resonates uh, with the theme today of of athletes in sport and young athletes in sport. And I think we're getting all these questions in right now because fall sport is again underway post COVID for one. So it's kind of weird. And we do know that registration is still very, very low for a lot of different reasons. But as sport starts up, it seems like a lot of people are having uh, very similar uh, questions or concerns or problems they're dealing with. So here's a question from Jake that I wanted to get to. It goes, crush, we're trying to give our son every opportunity. He's now 12 and has very little interest in going back to hockey. We're not going to force him to play sport, but we don't want him sitting on his computer playing games all day either. Any thoughts on how we can keep our young people engaged if they're losing interest in sport or any ideas on how to keep them engaged so if they do want to go back to sport, they're not so far behind, there's no hope. Okay, Jake, listen, that is a doozy of a question and a really good one as well. Listen, there are so many opportunities to keep our kids active if they're not involved in organized, structured sport. One of the things that's truly missing on the landscape right now is just that whole free play thing. And we're seeing it not just in our area, but in in other areas around the world as well. Your question actually triggered a memory of some research I'd read Uh, out of the UK here recently. And it said, you know, just in general, they're looking at how much kids are playing and where they're playing and what are they doing and why are kids so inactive? Well, in the UK, school kids have a statutory right to two hours of physical education per week. Two hours per week. That's not enough for anybody, by the way. But one of the most alarming statements that came out of this uh, school kid activity research in the UK went something like this. A significant number of children in the UK spend less time outside than prison inmates. That was the statement they made. Again, a significant number of children in the UK spend less time outside than prison inmates right now. 
And the study went on to look at why. And one of the things they found was that the UK children today have one ninth the roaming territory of their parents. They just don't go anywhere or they don't go anywhere on their own. They're just not allowed to go out and play. And so they actually broke it down in an interesting way. They looked at sort of a family tree type of approach where the great father back in 1919 would walk six miles just to go fishing on his own with his buddies, you know, horsing around, having a good time. And then the grandfather of that child in 1950 only had a radius of one mile to play in the woods. You know, one mile he could go out without his parents and have fun. And then the mother of that child in 1979 was able to walk a half a mile to the swimming pool. The half mile was the radius. And for the young kid today, it's 300 yards. The only place he's able to walk alone is to the end of the street. We just don't allow our kids to go out and play anymore. And that's one of the missing pieces of this major puzzle. It's really interesting. The great-grandfather was able to horse around and go six miles without his parents and worrying about anything. The grandfather, down to one mile. The mother, down to a half a mile. And today's kids, 300 yards on average. It's a great descriptor of kind of what's happening in terms of our, our area of play, the area we're able to roam. And we're seeing it in sport as well. That's one of the reasons I think we're so uh, focused on organized, structured sport. It's not always the way to go. And we're missing those sandlot games with our pals where kids just go figure things out. And trust me, you get a group of kids together, you know, they start playing on the in the park, you know, whatever game it is, they're going to make it fair. They really are. They're going to make the teams fair because nobody wants to get their butts kicked, right? And they'll work out, you know, any problems they have and any issues that come up in the game. They'll work that out. That's such a great experience that doesn't exist anymore. So, Jake, back to your question here, free play. And just think about how much is your, your son or your daughter allowed to go out on their own and play? Now, I understand safeguards and being safe and everything, but maybe we need to create that environment. That's one of the things I love about these skateboard parks that are popping up in every community. You know, you can go drop your kid off with his buddies down at the skateboard park with their scooters and their BMXs and their skateboards, whatever it is. And you can sit back in the parking lot and watch from a distance and just let them have fun, right? Or if you know that there's going to be a parent there watching, you can be confident they can just go there, be safe, and have fun, right? I think it's one of the great things. I love driving through all these small towns, and you drive by the skateboard park, and there's all these kids just pulling these tricks and having a blast on their own. No structure. So that's one thing, Jake, I think for certain you can keep in mind is how much do you just let your kids roam, or how much do you work that into the plan now, that if they're not going to be involved in organized sport you got to figure out a way to get them engaged and going out on their own with their pals in the neighborhood, even uh, in a safe way. Just go have some unstructured fun. Maybe that could re-spark the interest in sport. You never know. But there's one other area that I just don't think is working that well. And I'm a little removed from it now because my kids are older. But as they were going through, I was incredibly disappointed in what I was seeing. And that's our school systems. I just honestly do believe that if there's one place that we could do such a better job of not just getting kids involved in sport, because I think once kids are in sport in school, they do a pretty good job. The teachers, the volunteer, the coach, they do really good. But how do you get all those kids that are sort of on the bubble, engaged and continually involved in sport? And there are so many more benefits. There was a great research study done a few years ago in this small community in New York. And the title of the research and in the news when it started making headlines everywhere, one small change turned 19,000 students into the fittest and the smartest in the United States. 
How does that headline not catch your attention? Well, it's a story about a group of Maverick PE teachers that went on to develop a program that turned their entire high school into not just some of the fittest, but some of the smartest kids in the United States. And it was a program they titled Zero Hour Fitness, and it's right out of the crush brain game. It's science, physiology, and neurology all wrapped into a practical program that really, really impacted the lives and the futures of these students. Zero hour physical education, not your typical gym class. It's a scheduled time before first period where volunteer athletes would come in and do some pretty intense aerobic exercise before heading off to their classes. And it's something that's right out of the crush brain game. It stems from research that shows physical activity sparks changes in the brain that encourages cells to bind to one another. In learning, which is everywhere, whether we're in school, sport, dance, or at play, the brain literally adapts to the experiences that we have. It literally physically changes. And what we know is that exercise provides unparalleled stimulus that sets the brain up for top performance, for maximum adaptation, and ultimately, maximum learning. Physical activity is the key factor here. So think about it. As schools around the world in your community are limiting and getting rid of physical activity and extracurricular sport and and activities to get more academic time, are we doing more damage than good? The answer is yes. Hell yes. It's devastating, and we know this. The Zero Hour PE pilot project took place in Naperville Central High School in Illinois. And again, it was driven by a bunch of PE teachers that just care about the students. And it's absolutely fascinating. What they did is they took a group of volunteer students who would come in before school started to do intense aerobic activity. When I say intense, we're talking 80 to 90% of their maximum heart rate. Here's one of the cool things that came out of this, you know, as they had this wide array of students coming in with different fitness levels and different backgrounds. The teachers didn't focus the effort on group norms or age group averages or any of that garbage. What they did do, however, is they focused on individual maximum heart rates, which is different for everybody depending on what kind of shape you're in. So they would give them a task, 80 to 90% of your maximum heart rate for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. And it didn't matter how far you went or how high you climbed or how much track you covered. All they cared about is how were you working relative to yourself, which turned out to be a brilliant move because one of the incredible side benefits of this whole thing is the kids weren't worried about being compared to their peers. What they started focusing on was their personal bests and attacking their personal best and getting better. So not only were they attacking their fitness, but their academic scores and their performance in school was off the charts. At the end of the first semester, as an example, the zero-hour fitness group saw a 17% increase in reading comprehension compared to a 10% increase among the other students. The zero-hour students also reported an increase in mood, decision-making, And as the program continued and more and more students started getting involved in the program, they really took off. Now, they're not only some of the fittest and smartest kids in the entire United States. They have kids in this sort of middle of the range school with low budgets now competing on the world stage in math and science above anywhere else in the United States. 
the proof's in the pudding, we always say, right? A couple of caveats that they've learned over the years is they found that they're putting PE in the zero-hour fitness now just prior to the most demanding academic courses, the biologies, the core courses, the mathematics, calculus. They found that the learning benefits, retention benefits are best right after the exercise. So in this school district, they don't teach physical education like we've typically done it in the past. They're teaching fitness, and I love it. It's more like applied science, and it's something right out of the crush brain game. Here's what the teachers say. In our department, we create brain cells. It's up to the other teachers to fill them. It's just so perfect. So, Jake, getting back to your question about how we can help our kids stay active if they're leaving sport, this has got to be one of the keys. We've got to get them engaged in extracurricular stuff, but there's nothing, in my opinion, more powerful than our school system, and we've got to fix it. I mean, the proof's in the pudding right there. If we could adopt this type of uh, approach to physical education that benefits our kids in the academic side as well as the fitness side, listen, the kids that will go on to love sport will be ready for it, but everybody will do better at school, bar none. It's just the way it works. I don't know why it's not happening in our schools. I wish it was because it's just not that difficult to get this done. I truly believe it. They're doing it in this school district in Illinois with incredible success across the board. Jake, thanks for that question. I want to thank everybody who wrote in today. Hopefully we were able to uh, shed some light and get you thinking. For sure, you got us thinking. So absolutely love it. Uh, Thanks to everybody who's written in here over the last month or so. All right, we're running out of time here, but I do want to preview the upcoming series we have here in November. We're going to wrap up our two major themes for this year, 2021, talent, talent, and ID, and the crush brain game, the whole talent concept. Uh, We've had some great interviews and talks about that over this year. You can go back in the archives and see them. We've also had some incredible discussions on the crush brain game. Listen, when it comes to the brain side of human performance, I think we're way too reactive. We don't address it till after the fact, okay? And the brain game, as we've learned over this last year, is much, much more than just sports psychology or the mental side of sport. It's personality, it's mood, it's decision-making, it's how we perceive our environment. And that spinoff goes to how coaches and teams and, and organizations build environments for high performance. We've got to build environments that actually are conducive for learning at every stage of development, including our professional athletes. And that's what we're going to get to. This upcoming series brings these two worlds together. The brain game and talent and talent ID, talent development, they're so interconnected, it's absolutely crazy. So coming up, as we bring these two worlds together, we're going to look at how we learn. We're going to look at building and creating learning environments. We're going to talk about wiring the brain and how the tasks that we perform and how we present the tasks can really help us learn and perform at higher levels. We're also going to look at perception how the athlete processes the environment around them and how they react and learn in those environments. We're going to revisit our conversation on the coach's eye and coaching bias. And we're going to spin it off to, hey, as much as we select our players, should we be selecting our coaches, the right coaches for the right position? And then we're going to talk about how coaches can set up environments for maximum learning and skill acquisition. 
I can't wait for this series to begin. It's all going to go down through November and into early December, and then we're going to get to our gift for the athletes, of course. All right, everybody, we are out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I love the questions. Keep them coming. Get out there. Go have some fun. Stay safe and get better. Talk to you next time right here on Crush Performance. Goodbye now. Don't forget to ride. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles Quick Fix on Radio Influence. A lot of times teams throw the ball, throw the ball, throw the ball to get past happy. And then when it's time to run the football, they can't. The Buccaneers can run the football. They ran the football very effective yesterday. But it's like they don't want to waste their time spending that much time to score, it seems like. Like they don't want to run the ball twice in a row. They feel like it's taken away from Tom and what he's getting accomplished. I'll be honest with you, Tom didn't play great yesterday. Tom was off yesterday. And when Tom is off and you win by 35 points going away and leave points on the board, it tells you a little bit about how much better the Buccaneers are than the Chicago Bears. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.